eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Right on, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Hall. The hits principle is corny, old-fashioned and all that, but you know what? These guys are buying in. And Dan Weeder. I get criticized all the time for being negative in my coverage of the Chicago Bears, and I tell people, again, it's my 10th season. I have covered one winning season and zero playoff victories. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to Take the North Podcast, your regular podcast talking all things Chicago Bears. I'm David Haw, along with Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune. Thank you for joining us today. We are breaking down. It's the Bears-Packers game Sunday night at Lambeau Field. It is Bears-Packers week. The rivalry still means something, but it has been very interesting, Dan, all week at Hallis Hall to find out exactly how this new coaching staff will, is treating the rivalry. It's, it's different with every regime. And Matt Eberflus certainly has put his unique stamp on this. Yeah, David, I think it's been a notable departure from from previous coaches, right, that obviously spoke openly and publicly about their want to uh, win this game for themselves, win this game for the fan base, win this game for the McCaskey family and this Bears organization. And Matt has taken the more uh, narrowly focused blinders on, let's see what we can do in this environment type of approach. I don't know which which one's better or worse. I think that for Matt, in this stage of his program, it's a calculated play to keep a very young team focused on the right things and not caught up in the emotions of a game that that may feel bigger than it actually is. But you do have players in that locker room. One, Cole Komet, <laughs> Arlington Heights native, who says, listen, yep. I grew up here. I know what this game is. This is a huge game. I'm looking forward to playing it. And so the coach's message may not be reaching all 53 players, but certainly uh, it's, it's a notable uh, strategic approach by Matt Eberflus. We'll get into some of the details this is where you come for Bears talk and Bears information and it is Packers week so we know you're coming to take the North pod at take the North pod on Twitter you can get us here wherever you get your uh, podcast and certainly the Odyssey app and and Dan we'll get into the nitty-gritty but first we got to start with it is sort of related Nathaniel Hackett the, the the coach of the Broncos could have been the coach of the Bears interviewed for the job I said on the Mullen Haw show uh, this week that it, what happened the other night, Monday night football and passing up fourth and five to kick a 64 yard field goal. Oh, God, that was no good. 
Owen confirmed to me that the Bears got the right Packer assistant in the offseason <laughs> in Luke Getze over Nathaniel Hackett. That was going to be – that's a decision he's going to have a very difficult time living down, and I do think it's relatable because we're dealing with our own first-year coach in Chicago and evaluating every decision and the potential impact on credibility, and that one's going to be tough to outlive if you're Nathaniel Hackett. It's going to take a while, right? It's going to take a while to regain the trust of your locker room and regain the trust of your fan base. It was an ugly debut for Nathaniel Hackett's Broncos well before the final minute of that game, David. They were penalized left and right in that game. They were, I understand that the 12s in Seattle are really loud, but they were they were going deep in the play clock over and over again. The Javante Williams fumble at the goal line was a result of a, a play that seemed to be rushed in getting in, and then he runs into the back of his center who thought it was a pass play and blocked for a pass, and it was a run play. So there was sloppiness all through the night that seemed so familiar to the latter stages of the Matt Nagy era. I mean, you remember the days in, in, in the Nagy era where you'd come out of a timeout and then you'd get a delay a game penalty somehow, right? And you go, well, how does that happen? And there were so many of those moments for the Broncos. And then to cap it off with the punctuation there in the final minute with a quarterback that you've given $250 million to on the sideline, watching a guy try to attempt the 64-yard field goal. And then, David, what, what bothered me the most was, was Hackett after the game sort of explaining that, oh, yeah, the 46-yard line, that was that was our mark. Okay, well, that was that was the mark for the outside range of Brandon McManus. You had a minute plus to, to, to get him 20 more yards if you wanted to, right. to, to to make that kick easier and so it's it's poor game management uh one quick stat for you that the new coaches matt eberflus and nathaniel hackabee and two of them were six three and one in week one obviously you want to be on the, the side of the six which eberflus was and and we'll we'll judge his game management as as the weeks pass but boy that was a, a, a certainly a stark contrast to watch how the bears handled week one and then to see the sloppiness and uh, of the denver broncos two quick things that come to mind that one the tie you wonder if it's viewed more <laughs> like a loss because of the way Lovey Smith handled uh, the game down the stretch and not going for the win and settling for the tie. I think that's going to be interesting to follow. The other thing is, is I do want to look at it fairly, you know, the, the leap, are we making too big of a, of a thing in terms of comparing Matt Eberflus in his first year and first game to Nathaniel Hackett because he was up for the same job? Because I think what we would do in Chicago, imagine the context, if the day after, Matt Eberflus made a similar decision. He gets in front of you at Hallis Hall in the assembled media court and says, nah, slept on it. I regret what I did. I was wrong. I'm transparent. Do you applaud the transparency or do you think, man, if you make a decision that bad, if you make a decision that big, live with it, own it and go on. Well, I reflected back to the Chargers loss that the Bears had in 2019 when Matt Nagy, with a much shorter field goal attempt, stopped trying to advance the ball, right? And then and then looked at, I think you were in that post-game press conference and he took exception with the question you asked, took an exception to a question I asked about, hey, Matt, you had time to, to try to get the ball closer. You obviously know how unreliable kickers can be in your coaching tenure, and yet you decided to take a knee with Mitch Trubisky and you didn't set the ball up on the, the proper hash mark and your kicker missed a kick by a yard to the left and this this and that and it's just it's it's these moments that that head coaches in this league tend to struggle with more often than you think they would and so I'm very curious to get maybe three or four games this year where, where Matt Eberflus is in a situation whether it's end of half or end of game where we can test him on these he didn't have really any of those situations in week one so we can't give him a a, a plus grade for his his game management but hopefully they come over time because we need to see what he's made of when the stress and the anxiety and the communication lines are a little bit uh muddied and, and everything is 
elevated, you gotta you gotta step up in those moments and 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 be the guy that that leads your team to victory. Nathaniel Hackett failed. I truly believe in the football gods, David, and I think that the football gods made that kick miss wide to the left because <laughs> because the Denver Broncos did not deserve to win that football game, and they did not. It certainly offended my football sensibilities. Let's yes. say that, and that's enough for week one. Let's move on to week two with our opening drive. It's time for the opening the, the, the opening drive. Dan, so I think it's interesting, and this is what I said on the radio, and I think it bears getting a little bit deeper into it here. Matt Eberflus, in not making more out of the Packer rivalry, uh, at least this week publicly, than he did, to me is consistent with who he has been as a head coach. You can't be there kind of a take me as I am. I am Mr. Hit's principal. I am going to be risk being you know, the corniest coach and the coachiest of coaches and all these things. And then say that the, 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 the secret to that is in your consistent approach, day in and day out, being the same guy. He is the same guy. I think we have seen that. And that's been, I think, a big part of his success early on. You can't do that and then all of a sudden change the context and dynamic and say, well, you know what? I'm the same guy, but this game means more than the rest. I think that's understandable. If you want to go that route, you could go that route. Coaches have. We've seen it before. But I didn't mind him not making more out of Packer week than it is because I think it was consistent with who he is. It's consistent also with the roster they have now. And I mentioned in the outset that it's a very young team that needs to keep its focus grounded, but it's also a a team that has no familiarity with this rivalry either. And it was notable on Monday for Byron Pringle to be like, oh yeah, we hate the Packers. They hate us. And you're like, wait wait a second, Byron, you haven't even played in this, in this game yet. So what do you hate about them? What do they hate about you? There's so many new faces and, and, and moving parts of this that I don't think this specific game caters to that high energy rivalry approach. I think Matt is going to be consistent with being that very measured level-headed guy, but can I give you an example from my college basketball days that, that gives me a little bit of pause about this approach. There was a, a coach at NC state named Herb Sendek yeah. who, who treated the rivalry with North Carolina as just another game, just another week. Right. And, and it was his approach that we just have to be grounded, grounded, grounded. Well, by the end of Herb's tenure in Raleigh, North Carolina, which, was coached by a Hall of Famer in Roy Williams and was very much into, hey, we want to keep our neighbor down and we're going to take this game as serious as any we play on the schedule other than Duke and we're going to do this. I think they ended up beating him 14 out of 16 times or something like that in Herb's tenure. And so you, if you don't bring the requisite, I don't say, you don't have to make this into more than it is, but if you don't bring the requisite juice to the party, you're not going to be able to succeed in the party. And so I, I'm a little bit worried long-term that Matt's approach, which has been very, very good for this team at this stage, is going to eventually need a little bit of livening up to keep his players' attention, if that makes sense. I think it's fair. I think it's fair. I do also, though, like you said, though, with this roster, I do think you want to be careful yeah. in, in, in building it up to be such a big deal because if you sense you might get really routed here, you don't want to destroy their confidence because you got to, he knows that this, this kind of year is developmental in, in kind of their approach. Maybe not the way he wants to look at it or admit, but you've got to go back to practice next week. And if you put so much into an early game week two, and then you lose by three touchdowns or lose even by as much as Vegas thinks that you're going to lose by difficult to regroup and say, you know what? Okay, let's go. Because I just I don't mind the approach because I I do think that you've got to take the long view of this. Now, Lovey Smith came in on day one. Yeah, he said, I want to beat Green Bay. And you know what? He beat Green Bay. I also think it's interesting, Dan, 
when Matt Eberflus acknowledged that when he was asked, did this come up during the job interview? And he, he said, said, no, <laughs> no. Yeah. Didn't that surprise you? A little bit, a little bit. But, you know, look, the interview process here was a little bit strange, I guess, for lack of a better word. And we will get into this in later weeks. That's a tease for our audience. But, you know, the Bears did so many Zoom interviews and Bill Polian was running it. Right. Like so Bill Polian is not asking candidates about the Bears Packer, Packers rivalry. Right. He's trying to get into X's and O's and leadership and culture building and all those things. And then Ryan Poles gets here and hires Matt Eberflus within you know, 12 hours of taking the job. So I don't know if there was even time to ask him about the Packers rivalry in the time that they spent together before he hired him. Uh, you know, I, I also think that maybe Matt's approach would be different if the first game of the Packers bears rivalry in 2022 was in week 10, right. You know, maybe yeah. they played later in the season and they're further along right. in what they're trying to establish and, and the identity they're trying to carve. I just think they're still in the infant stages of, of determining who they are, that they're just trying to keep their focus there and I think it's a sensible approach now. Now again, like so, my concern is is less about the now, the September fifteenth, two thousand twenty-two, as it is about three years from now. Are you are you seeing this through the lens it needs to be seen through as you try to pursue NFC North championships, right? As you try to pursue bigger bigger goals down the road. Okay, let's zoom the lens in on this week specifically. You look at the Packers' offensive line banged up; both starting tackles could be out. We don't know. It's going to be a state of flux with the injury reports and game time decisions. They might be without an interior lineman and John Runyon Jr. That yeah. who plays guard and and does it well. So that could be three of their five offensive linemen out. Alan Lazard's coming back, but he has been injured and unavailable. We saw what the rest of the receiving core did against the Vikings, Christian Watson. They've only seen that on loop 775 times, uh, him dropping that pass. What do the Packers have around Aaron Rodgers? And does that make this year different than last season when they were trying to come back from a blowout in week one? Well, yeah, it does make it different because of a lot of different reasons here, David, that, that I think are worth getting into. Number one, we obviously know that Devontae Adams was traded to the Las Vegas Raiders in March. We know that Marquez Valdez-Scantling signed with the Kansas City Chiefs. But one of the things that's not being talked about as much as some of the guys we've already talked about, Nathaniel Hackett was the Packers offense coordinator for the last three years and had a really tight bond with Aaron Rodgers. And he's now in Denver. Luke Getzey was the quarterback's coach for the last three years. And he's now here in Lake Forest. They've had moving parts on the coaching staff where you've got wide receivers coach Jason Vrabel being elevated to passing game coordinator, offensive line coach Adam Stenovich being elevated to, to coordinator. Tom Clements, who Rodgers has familiarity with, comes out of retirement to be the quarterback's coach again. And so there are a lot of things, moving parts that, that have kept this machine from, from getting back to the, the level of humming, running efficiency that we're used to seeing it with. Jalen Johnson on Thursday afternoon in the Bears locker room said, you can just tell Aaron's not as comfortable out there. And I love Jalen. Jalen's one of the most honest, direct guys that you're going to find in the locker room. I also thought it, it, when he said that, you're like, uh-oh, you know, don't, no, don't, don't poke the bear. Don't poke no, the bear here. Don't, 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 don't no. do it. Don't do it because he'll wake you up in a hurry. And, 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 and listen, Jalen qualified it and said he, he's still Aaron Rodgers. We expect them to make rapid improvements rather quickly. But I th also think his diagnosis is correct because you go back through that Vikings tape and you see a quarterback that doesn't have his big play, big moment guy, right? 
that built-in go-to guy in Devontae Adams that, I mean, Devontae Adams scored 29 touchdowns the last two years. It's a big reason that Aaron won two MVP awards in back-to-back seasons. He's not there, and so now Aaron doesn't know who to trust. He doesn't know who to trust in his offensive line. He doesn't know who to trust in his receiving core. He's really trying to work through this, and do I think that he's going to have take you know two months to work through this? No, but may it take more than two weeks? Possibly, and in that sense, the Bears are very lucky to be catching the Packers when they're catching them. Yeah, and I think still he's going to be more than, should I say, an absentee owner of the Bears. I still think he's <laughs> going to be somebody who is very much involved in every aspect of Sunday night's game, and I would be surprised if he struggles. Now, you have to try to you take certain things away and you have to try to make sure that you tackle and keep everything in front of you and all the fundamentally things, fundamental things that are, that are true with defensive football teams. But I still think that Aaron Rodgers is, is going to try to avoid however, he, and he's still the two-time MVP, he, two, two bad games in a row. I just have a hard time envisioning him having two bad games in a row. And I do think they're not going to come out though. And they're going to set up his passing game by establishing the run. And it's going to be a point of emphasis. And he said it this week. And I don't think he's trying to mislead anybody. I think that Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon are going to be the keys to unlocking the passing game for the Packers this week, because of how the bears are going to have to devote resources and be, you know, be caught into this whole run play action passing game potentially, but they're going to have to stop the run first and foremost. I'm with you on that. And we'll have more on that in, in our game breakdown segment in a couple minutes. I think that Aaron uh, ha- has also been very open in saying, look, like I, I understand that it's going to take time with some of these young receivers, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, obviously Sammy Watkins comes over uh, and is a newcomer as well. And even though he's a veteran, you still got to figure things out, right. And go through that. And so I think Aaron said something to the effect of like, these guys are going to make a lot of mistakes, but it's the ones, you know, who make less of them who are going to get more opportunities or something to that extent. And so he's got to feel that out on the fly here. Right. And, and, and he, you gotta, you know, have a feel for trust. And obviously he had a, a innate trust in Devonte Adams, which was to me, some of the most, fun to watch if you're really into x's and o's football genius like watching those two guys operate was football porn to be honest with you and 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 it's not there anymore for him and so now he's got to figure out where do i find another guy where do i find trust that helps me work on this level one other thing about that vikings game sunday david is is rogers turned the ball over two times and they were two very uncharacteristic turnovers and so if you are a, a harsh critic you look at that and you see evidence of a guy who's pressing because he knows the deficiencies of the guys around him and when you get a quarter back to start pressing it's very dangerous and yeah. so if the bears can 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 force them into some of those pressing situations maybe they got a chance it's a good point watching Devonte adams too it's awesome you, if you appreciate the route tree and the way that receivers set things up i mean you just you, you not you miss seeing Devonte adams in a packer uniform but i love watched i loved watching him because he was so technically sound but yes. physically explosive and he had the best of both worlds. So I think that's a good point. You know, I said this morning, his absence, I, I said this week on the radio on, on the Mullion Haw show and, and people push back and, and it was, I wasn't trying to make, say something that was a hot take. I wasn't trying to even say something to, you know, be provocative. I really believe though, objectively, when you look at the bears receiving core and what they have accomplished and then with the number one in Darnell Mooney, and you look at the Packers receiving core and the number one being Alan Lazard, yeah. who, who has topped out at 40 catches, and a lot of other guys who I think aren't at the different stages of their careers. Some guys are unproven. Some guys are kind of maybe washed out. I think the Bears' receiving core objectively might be better than the Packers. 
It's a hard leap for me to make, but I'm also not going to push back on it strongly because I don't think either one of them is is established uh, very well. I, yeah, right. right. I mean, like Sammy Watkins has got some good history to him. Uh, the Bears went after him in free agency the year that they they ended up signing Allen Robinson. And and so there's a track record there. But boy, I I mean, neither receiving core is one that looks like a championship receiving core. Now, Luke Getzey told us today that, that Aaron's got a way of taking – you know, developing receivers and making them better just strictly with accuracy, right? Putting the ball right where it needs to be to be caught. He did that for Christian Watson on his first play in the NFL and Christian Watson blew it, right? He just dropped a 75 yard touchdown pass and that's 75 yards and seven points. You'll never get back. And it obviously was the the sort of uh, watershed moment for the Packers in week one that everyone points to as an example of, of how sharp their growing pains are going to be. Uh, it, it's interesting. I, I mean, if you put a poll on there and who's got the better receiving core uh, and you, and you, put it out to the league i'd be interested to see where, where it would come back at i think it'd be very provincial obviously i think if you no ask talent, uh, talent evaluators i'd be very curious to see how much uh, they think that that cobb and watkins have left right i'm curious to see the draft grades and the potential of guys like christian watson because and also with the bears you know I, valus jones is, is unlikely to play he's got to get healthy before you can count on him but you have pringle and you have pettis guys who are you know, in their second teams getting second opportunities, bigger roles, and maybe they're going to be able to seize those opportunities. I don't know. And maybe this is wishful thinking, but I do think that Darnell Mooney at the top of his game, Alan Lazard at the top of his game, certainly Aaron Rodgers is going to have a lot to say about that. But I think that Darnell Mooney is, is the best receiver of either core. And I guess maybe that's influencing that opinion as much as anything. Well, and Darnell's going to have to back that up, right? He, he, he only had one catch for eight yards in the rain-soaked opener, and there's going to be uh, better circumstances and conditions for him to, to show what he's made of. Darnell is going to have to take a step up this season, just given the amount of attention that's going to be paid to him, right? And there's going to be different defenses that understand that he is, in your words, the best playmaker that the Bears have in their passing game. And so uh, there's going to be a lot of X's and O's that are, are pushed his direction, daring guys like Pettis and St. Brown and, and others to to try to beat them Pringle and, and until they do you know maybe Darnell's limited a little bit so he's going to have to step up through that at times I wanted to get your thought on another uh, position debate before we move on to our predictions yeah I think after the first game you saw David Montgomery and you saw Khalil Herbert used I think Montgomery had more carries and I think Herbert was maybe more impactful in the running game and I think the styles of each runner are different enough to where they can complement each other I don't know if they're going to be like AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones but I do think they're going to be the Bears one-two punch. And, I, and I'm curious what you think in terms of which is a better fit for this offense. And, and I know it's very difficult to take too much out of the first game because of the conditions almost wiped out every meaningful evaluation, Mike Martz. But I think that when you look at Herbert versus Montgomery, pros and cons, stylistically, do you think we're ever going to get to the point this season where the Bears rely on Herbert to get the tough yard on a big play more than they do Montgomery? I'm not sure yet. I think we need a bigger sample size to see. Obviously, Herbert averaged five yards per carry in the opener in Montgomery. He was down at about 1.7. But when Luke Getzey was asked about that on Thursday, he sort of said, look, Khalil had, I think he put it as he had more presentations, which was, look, there were some holes there for him to get through it. David did not have, right? And so not all uh, comparisons are apples to oranges when you got a guy who's who's getting hit two yards deep in the backfield and another guy who's got a, a hole to hit and he hits it and he bursts through it and he gets big yardage. Uh, Getzey 
Casey sort of singled out the 16-yard reception that Montgomery had on that Jenny Finch softball pitch that Justin Fields <laughs> threw him in the backfield in the first half and said, look, he made five or six guys miss. And then it was a screenplay that nobody on the Bears blocked right. And, and nobody was touched uh, on the 49ers defense. And Montgomery still turned it in to 16 yards in a first down. So I think there is still trust there. We just need to see a bigger sample size to see kind of how each guy fits within the scheme, which guy fits in which, you know, situations within the scheme and, and how they want to operate it. Montgomery, I think, outtouched Herbert 17 to 9 on carries. And so uh, we'll see. We'll see Sunday where it goes. And and, and look, Luke Getzey had the experience, as you mentioned, with with Dylan and Jones and Green Bay and knows what a, a timeshare can look like productively and successfully. And so let's see if they can create that here. I love this podcast because we're going to get a reference <laughs> to Jenny Finch and Herb Sendick in the first, first football segment. Only on Take the North. Only, Only on Take the North. on Take the North. All right. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time for our predictions. Okay, we're going to bring in Adam Studzinski, our ace producer here, because he is going to make his prediction. He's got things to do, people to see, places to go, and also he's got thoughts to share because, boy, I wonder which way he is leaning this week. Okay, so let me just preface this by saying last week I did pick the 49ers. I went back and checked it. So <laughs> I, I, I understand why you think I would have picked the Bears last week. I get it. I really do. But I did pick the 49ers. But I had a, I had a gut feeling that I usually go with that I ignored in picking the 49ers because I thought the Bears had a really good chance to win the game. I went with logic because I said the, the 49ers have the better roster. I'm not doing that this week. I'm going with my gut, and I'm going to pick the Bears. First of all, like this, and this is like completely intangible thing. They're just due to win a game against the Packers. They've lost <laughs> six in a row. They're just due. And so that's part of it. But like legitimately, I think that the Packers have a lot of work to do with their offense, as you guys have been saying, getting their work together with their receivers. The defense didn't look as good as we thought it was going to be last week. That could all change, and this could blow up in my face. But I'm going to pick the Bears in this one. And something to the tune of 25-21. Maybe it'll be lower scoring than that. And I think they go into Green Bay and get a win. Ultimately, like I said, I know I'm being a bit of a meatball fan here. I know that the Packers are overall the better team. They have Aaron Rodgers. And I'll probably regret this, but I'm going to go with it. So that's my pick. All right. That's good. I, I, you picked the Bears. Not, I mean, a lot of people are going that direction this week. They, they impressed a lot of people. Dave Wonstead was on. Our show earlier this week on the Mullen Haw show, he picked the Bears. Um, uh, it's, oh, yeah, it's understandable. Now, I think, Dan, that it's going to be closer than people expect. Certainly what Vegas expects. The point spread is whatever you, whenever you got on it, it's either nine or 10, and that doesn't give 
uh, a lot of credence to what the Bears accomplished in beating the 49ers under those conditions. I think the Bears are going to compete. I think they're going to be able to neutralize certain things, maybe get a couple turnovers that'll keep it close, maybe win the hidden yardage battle at times. But I just think that to expect Aaron Rodgers to have two straight clunkers and this offense in Green Bay, and not even the offense maybe, let me let me rephrase that, this defense in Green Bay to have two straight subpar weeks is not realistic for me because I do think they have a defense that I was shocked at how poorly they played uh, against the Vikings. I think they're going to rectify a lot of those problems against the Bears. It's going to be close. I think the Bears are going to stay in it. I think they'll be, be disciplined. You'll see some attention to detail. And I think Justin Fields won't be asked to do too much, and he'll he'll flash on a couple plays. In it, but I think it's going to be Green Bay 27, Bears 23. I have few disagreements with what you said. I have a different final score and a different final stages of this game, right? I think the Bears are going to stay competitive. I think it's going to be a good game into the fourth quarter. And I think ultimately the Packers are going to score an insurance touchdown late. My final score here is 24 to 13 Green Bay. And I think some of that, David, is just based on what you talked about, that you the Bears don't have Justin Jefferson to put a strain on the, the Packers defense the way the Vikings did. And they also get an angry Aaron Rodgers, who has never started a season 0-2. He's been 0-1 five times in his career, never been 0-2. And so it tells you that he's got a way of troubleshooting in week two that is proven, uh, that they're going to find answers in many different ways to put together a game plan that sets them up for success. And we'll see where they take it. Look, I think I, 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 if Studs thinks that being due is a, a reason to pick the Bears, I'll just let them know that the Bears have been due to win a Super Bowl for 30 plus years. Yeah. And, the, and the Lombardi Trophy in the Hallis Hall lobby where I'm sitting right now is still very lonely looking for a partner. Yeah, that's a great point. And we we both are picking scores in the 20s by the Packers. And you know what? That would fall into the category of moral victories given some of the games that we've seen at Lambeau Field in prime time with, uh, you know, with everybody expecting more. And if they can keep it close, I do think that there will be uh, some optimism, maybe a little bit of hope. You did pick the Packers to cover, which is interesting. And I know that was just accidental. Listen, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that I've gotten in the Chicago Tribune carpool to make that drive from Lake Forest up to Green Bay many times. And so many times the drive back is like, whoa, that was a reality check, right? Like, yeah, I mean, right, those games right. can get really ugly up there. They're often in primetime. Uh, as Studs mentioned, I think the Bears have lost their last five primetime games at Lambeau Field. Their last win there was Thanksgiving night in the first year of John Fox. And, and, and they just, there's, there's, there's an exposure there that happens all too regularly. I know this is a new era, a new regime, a new team, a new coaching staff, all those new things that the Bears have at their disposal. But but it just feels like I've seen this movie before. And Aaron Rodgers has a way of inflicting torture and agony on the most hopeful Bears teams and the most hopeless Bears teams with with little regard for which one he's facing. I think you're right. But, but I, before we move on to the next segment, a little question, though. I think what we're both saying, even though we're not picking them to win, it sounds like we both competitive. Believe- the gap may be closing. Is that overstating it? I guess we'll. It see. is overstating it. it it's okay. it, the gap. Right. The gap will be close. Will be closer now. And I think for some of that is what we talked uh-huh. about in the opening about what the Packers are still trying to figure out. Are I we think they're Kenosha or Milwaukee. <laughs> are, they, are, they, are they across the state line? Yet? Yeah, maybe Milwaukee. Maybe Milwaukee. Okay. They got a little bit further to go here. Okay. But I think the Packers' improvement in the 2022 season is going to be more drastic 
than the Bears will be, right? And and we're going to see particularly particularly given what we I mean, given what we saw in Week One, right? right. Like if we're I, doing I, that. Comparison. I want to revisit that thought because I think the improvement and how steep that climb is for the Bears this year and how steady that improvement really is will be a defining thing about the 2022 season. Can I give you a quick rundown of my three keys for this one? Yes, let's do that. All right. So the first one, which you referenced very quickly, is stop the Thickians. <laughs> Alan Williams referred to Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon as Thickians in Thursday's press conference. Just said these guys are th- the guys with thick lower bodies. They move the pile. They got great jump cuts. They can block. They can catch. They do it all. I think the Packers are going to be determined to establish these two guys early in the game, as we talked about, to set up play action, to get Robert Tunyon involved, to establish a running game, to rely on what they believe at this stage of their offensive development is a major strength for them. The Bears are going to have to find ways to get up there to the line of scrimmage, win those battles, and keep those guys from taking over the game early, right? So that's number one. Number two, I think they need to cast doubt. And by that, I mean they need to make Aaron Rodgers doubt the people around him. The psychological battle is very real this week. If you can get Aaron to think that his offensive line isn't protecting him well enough, if you can get him to think that his young wide receivers aren't good enough, and all of a sudden he starts doing those things that we talked about that he did against the Vikings, pressing, making foolish, uncharacteristic, un-Rodgers-like mistakes, now all of a sudden you can get a game-changing player to that that flips flips the momentum and potentially flips the final result. So that's number two. The third thing is play on script, right? And I think you'd agree with this, that, that Justin Fields at some point in his year two development is going to have to show an ability to make big plays that are within the playbook, right? It can't always be outside the pocket after pressure gets home and, the and you know, the protection breaks down and you're just running around trying to make something happen like it's the schoolyard. Ultimately, three or four times a game, you're going to have to make a big play from within the pocket, within the scheme, within the system. Justin didn't do a lot of that in week one. Mike Martz wasn't wrong in that. He was a little bit wrong in some of his other evaluations of Justin's play in week one. But Justin ultimately is going to have to become that player who who does things without needing to manufacture things, if that makes sense. And so it would be very nice to test that out Sunday night under the lights on Sunday night football. Okay, let me give my keys in a moment, but let me make a mental note to send a, a memo to Martz that the Bears will be the ones in the white uniforms and the Packers will be wearing green perfect this week, just so he identifies the right player on the right team and he doesn't get all confused because I know apparently that's a problem when he's evaluating quarterbacks <laughs> all right so my keys would be number one work the edges and I mean that with the tackles being compromised with the Packers for the Bears to win this game to keep it close they can disrupt the passing game from Aaron Rodgers if they can get to the quarterback, even if it's a quick passing game. I don't think the passing game can be as quick and effective without the certainty at receiver like it was with Adams and his core behind him. See, that's the thing. The timing is so important when you're being pressured. And if the timing isn't there, you can be pressured and you're more susceptible to that if you're Aaron Rodgers. And with the Bears having really four quality pass rushers coming off the edge, and I'm giving Travis Gibson the benefit of the doubt there, but I think him and Dominic Robinson and and Muhammad and and Robert Quinn – They can stay fresh, Dan. They can stay disruptive. And if they can disrupt the passing game, the Bears have a chance. So that's number one, work the edges. For me, number two is simple. It's just protect. That goes for the football. That goes for the quarterback. That goes for the pocket. Protect. Protect the football. No dumb turnovers. Don't don't lose the takeaway battle again. That means you have to protect the football and you have to protect the quarterback so he doesn't take unnecessary hits so he has time to plant and throw so if he wants to be in time on time this week then he's going to be able to do that 
with a degree of confidence when he drops back to pass. I don't think they need to get too fancy. I think they need to just protect the quarterback. A lot of this stuff, too, can be neutralized if you establish your own running game because you keep that defense guessing and yep. you don't become one-dimensional. You protect the quarterback, and then you have to protect the football. And the third thing is, is I just think you have to win the hidden yardage battle. These are the kind of games that the yes. only way it, it takes me back to, I think it was, it wasn't Levy Smith's first year, but maybe the announcement that this was going to be a different series was Devin Hester's first year, perhaps, or uh, rookie season when he was deep uh, in a punt return against the Packers at Lambeau Field. I think it was 83 yards, if I remember right. Watching in the press box, you knew, you knew that special teams we're going to be something under Lovey Smith that the Bears excelled at. I want a sign. Give us a sign. Win the hidden yardage. Win the kicking game. Do something special that puts yourself in a better position. Because you know what? You don't have the roster that the Packers do. You certainly don't have the quarterback. That's a matchup. But you can win the kicking game. And that's the only way I see a path to victory is if they work the edges, protect the football on the quarterback, and then win the hidden yardage with the kicking game. Can I give you a little uh, nugget here from Hallis Hall on Thursday afternoon? I sat with uh, Cairo Santos and Trent Gill at their locker stalls today and just asked a question that we're all seeking an answer to. I said, if a Bears staffer and not a player had come out and used that towel to, to tamp down the ground, would that have been allowed, right? Like we've seen uh, teams with stadiums that have snow on it come out with their plows and their shovels right before a kick and, and clear the spot there. Could the Bears have designated a a, a taken a timeout and designated someone to come do that for them. Cairo said that was a great idea. I said, I'm glad I could be helpful here in the brainstorming session here for the Bears special teams. But let's let's uh, let's try to find an answer to that question because it's an interesting one. I think it is. And, and I think that'd be a great job for Larry Mayer. <laughs> Larry, Larry needs more to do. There's no question I, I about that. I think that would be a great job. And he could just stand <laughs> on the sidelines instead of going being in the press box. Let's there you run go. That, let's run that one by him. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's get to our numbers game. All right, so you have a sampling of four or five numbers. It's ran in the Chicago Tribune, chicagotribune.com. That's where you can read all of Dan's work, all of Colleen Kane's work, all of Brad Biggs's work, chicagotribune.com. What do you have in terms of the numbers game? All right, every week I'm going to give you a sampling of what, what we run in that package on chicagotribune.com. The first one is 4-0, and and that's the Packers' record in Week 2 games with Aaron Rodgers as their starter after losing their season opener. More than that, the average margin of victory for the Packers in those games is 14 points, right? That tells you a little bit of something about Aaron's bounce-back ability. His average stat line in those games, David, 26 for 36, 325 yards, three touchdowns, and a 125 passer rating. Oh so if you're expecting Aaron Rodgers to be held down for two consecutive weeks and to, 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 to throw two consecutive clunkers out of the gates of a season, the numbers tell us that that may not be happening. 
Okay, that's, uh, that's, that's quite a convincing statistic. I, I don't know that um, it bodes well. For, uh, do you have any <laughs> encouraging numbers uh, the, for the Bears? My last one will be encouraging. This one's kind of half encouraging. This is a, a two-part uh, number here. 120 is the first number. That's the receiving yards by the entire Packers receiving core in Sunday's loss to the Vikings. 12 catches that came on from their receiving core. Uh, they're obviously without Aaron Lazard in that game. Devontae Adams is gone. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is gone. And Romeo Dobbs was their leading receiver in yardage with 37 yards in the opener. Meanwhile, the guy that left for Las Vegas, Devontae Adams, 141 receiving yards in his debut with the Raiders. That came on 17 targets and 10 catches. Perhaps a uh, indication that, that folks around the league think it may be easier for Devontae Adams to transition to life without Aaron Rodgers than it is for Aaron Rodgers to transition to life without Devontae Adams. I love that number because it supports my thought that there were some people were calling a hot take, that the Bears receiving core is more equipped and better off this season. It's the one I would rather have right now as we approach week two, then the Packers receiving core. Here's my last number. You asked for an encouraging one. It's 10 and four. And that's the Bears record in September since the start of 2018, including the season opening win over the 49ers. Fast starts have become a little bit of a trend here in the last half decade. And I think that's good for us, right? We want seasons, particularly like this one, to stay relevant and meaningful for as long as possible. The Bears, I think under John Fox, I'd have to triple check this, but I think they were one in 10 in September in the three seasons under John Fox. You know how that felt when you got to October 1st and the entire season was already in the rearview mirror and you were just trying to figure out where to find meaning in a season at least now they've they've found ways to win some games in september and again the more that this team wins early in the year to keep that hope kind of inflating and escalating it's going to be more fun for everybody that follows this team and let's see if they can keep that going on sunday night fox was exhausting on everybody <laughs> and i think that is number those are numbers that tell you so, uh, just a part of why i didn't realize september was so good under Matt Nagy, I think that was almost, it's almost indicative and reflective of his entire tenure is that you have success early, you kind of get drunk with success, you can't handle it, and then you let things slip away. Uh, so that's the bad news. I guess the good news, if you're Ted Phillips, you'd say, well, you know what? That set up all those long losing streaks that built all that character that you had to endure, endure all that adversity. <laughs> this team does nothing if not respond to six-game losing streaks, right? We've learned that over the years, and they're very good at it, and they deserve the credit that they've gotten for that. Any other good numbers? Any other uh, little tidbits uh, from the week that you think are worth pointing out? Look, I, I just think this is a fascinating game, right? It really is. It's a it's a game that that gives the Bears an opportunity to really hit a springboard, right? And and to really build the confidence that they need. And again, I don't even think that they need to win this game Sunday night to come back to Hallis Hall feeling really good about themselves, right? They just need to show that, in your words, they've closed the gap, right? And they've gotten further than Milwaukee. Maybe they're up closer to Sheboygan at that point, and they can figure out a way to, to close the gap on the Packers in a way that gives uh, some more feeling inside this building that they're, that they're moving in the right direction. I think based on your experience at Hallis this week, though, don't you feel the momentum? Don't you feel like there's that belief? And, and I want you to speak to this before we wrap things up the buy-in factor that we talk about we talked about it Sunday because we saw it on the field and you felt it in the locker room and and all that the the carryover the momentum that comes out of that in terms of a kind of an unspoken you, you know it when you see it or you hear it how would you describe 
that vibe around Hallis this week? Well, I'll tie this back to two of the guys that I think we're, we think are the most important in this season for this organization. And it's just the connection again, between Justin Fields and Luke Getze and both of those guys abilities as key leaders on this team to keep that steadiness after a first half, that was a disaster against the 49ers, right? We've talked about it at length at, at this point at how little they had going for them in the first half and their ability to get a bounce back in the second half was significant and tells you a little bit about the leadership, right? And the steadying leadership that those two guys in particular have that Matt Eberflus currently has with this team. And so that buy-in is real because it creates resolve. It creates belief. It creates hope in situations where maybe you don't deserve to have any. And they capitalized on it in week one. Now, again, you're going to be tested probably as early as Sunday with, with, with games that get a little bit further out of reach from you. And you're going to be tested at some point with some injury adversity and some other things that, that go just absolutely sideways at a time where you don't expect them to go sideways. And now you got to figure out a way to respond to those. This team has got to figure out a way to answer those tests when they, when they pop up. One more tidbit, Lucas Patrick being an honorary captain, the former Packer who rotated at right guard with Tevin Jenkins. We talked about the oddity of that. It's unorthodox, but it's also understandable given how much they value Lucas Patrick in his role on this team and in that locker room. What do you think about all of that? Do you think that there's it's necessary for him to be at midfield when they <laughs> flip the coin and, and the effect that that might have and how much he'll be playing this week if it's any more than he did in week one? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that rotation shakes out. I, I, it's my hunch that it's going to be very similar and kind of a, a, a shared split in snaps. Lucas said that the, the emotion that he expects to feel predominantly when he gets to Lambeau Field on Sunday night is gratitude, that he feels very grateful for the six years that he spent in that organization, the chance to you know not only develop strong relationships, but to develop himself as a, a player and a professional, right? Uh, put him in position to then get this wonderful opportunity of the Chicago Bears that paid him and his family a lot of money to come here and do things like try to go upset the Packers right now he's got to get used to being on the other side of this rivalry uh you know listen this is why you have season-long captains and then you mix in one honorary captain because you can give a guy like that a little added juice on game night and it's really nothing more than just a nice nod and a nice gesture to a guy that that you see as as somebody that that can be a driving force in in your your efforts to win you know something we'll keep an eye on all season long we you teased it we'll have a conversation about it it's going to be an ongoing conversation we don't have a lot of time to do this week so but i just want to mention this the ownership of the Chicago Bears, the McCaskey family, they view this weekend, uh, you know, there, there's a mental asterisk. It's circled. It's It means more. It just does. And that was reinforced to me. I think it was the first or second season I was covering the Bears, and this is my 20th. But driving up to Lambeau Field, sitting in the parking lot, getting there as you will get there Sunday, you know, three and a half, four hours before kickoff. And George McCaskey was in his car, and he was listening to the radio, just sitting there, just looking around and walking with him from – the parking lot into basically the stadium and all of these tailgaters, the bears still suck and the, the, the Packers polka and that song and, and everybody. And he was looking around, smiling, eating it up and telling me later as he would still believes today, how special the rivalry is. This does mean more to them than it does than, than playing the Texans next week than playing anybody else on the schedule. And I think that's something that, you know, how this all comes together, this, this, this is a, a season that there are going to be two things on, on parallel tracks. You know, where the, where the uh, organization is going, literally and figuratively, Arlington Heights in a new stadium, and then where they're going on the field in the, in the NFC North. And I think that when you see 
uh, what is ahead of us on Sunday, you're going to appreciate again just how special this rivalry is. Well, you gave me a flashback to last year, and I think it was the lead to my deep dive on everything that was going wrong with the 2021 Bears and the leadership that they had. But it was coming out of that night game at Lambeau Field and walking down to open locker room with joyous Packer fans flooding the concourses of that beautiful storied stadium and chanting, Bears still suck, Bears still suck. And you could hear it as you went down the stairs toward the Bears locker room, and you say, boy, you know that those moments echo in the ears of George McCaskey and his family, because they know how much that this gap has, has, you know, been changed, right? It used to be the bears with the the distance on the Packers and now it's changed. And now it's up to this new regime to try to get it back and to do what this podcast tells you they're going to do at some point, take the North and never give it back. So we promise to continue this conversation about the ownership and the president and to replace Ted Phillips moving forward throughout the season. Just a couple little tidbits before we wrap up. Wanted to give a shout out to one of our listeners on the podcast way out in Argentina. His name is Gonzalo. He has contacted the show. Thank you for listening. Send us your questions, Gonzalo. We know that you are a big-time Bears fan. As a teenager, you were here in 1984. You enjoyed 1985. And like everybody else in Chicago, you thought that was the start of something very special. <laughs> so you're not alone. We, have, uh, we appreciate you listening to us, and we will be here for you all season long. Also, Dan, Epic's original docuseries, NFL Icons, Saturday night. You don't want to miss this. It is on Walter Payton. Okay. It's at nine o'clock central. It's about his NFL debut. It is by uh, put together. Uh, Ray Stallone is involved in this project and he's a, a friend of the show and no bears fan wants to miss September 17th, nine o'clock central. Uh, the docuseries NFL icons features Walter Payton. Can't wait to watch it. That'll be a good one. And we will be here next week after the Packers game. We will have a pod dropping on Tuesday morning, I don't think we're going to be doing it in the middle of uh, Monday morning after the Packers-Bears wrap up at Lambeau Field. You can continue to get our thoughts on the Bears and the analysis at Take the North Pod on Twitter. You can download the podcast. You can get Dan Weeder at, at Dan Weeder, W-I-E-D-E-R-E-R on Twitter and at David Haw. And then thank you to Adam Studzinski for getting us through another episode. This is episode 11. You can download the Take the North podcast wherever you get your podcasts and certainly on the free Odyssey app. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the football game. And we'll be back next week with Take the North. Enjoy the game, everyone. Enjoy the game, everyone.